Well, this morning we are going to be continuing our uh, sermon series in the book of Ephesians. This is the fourth sermon in this particular series. And so we're going to be taking a look at chapter 3 this morning. And I'd invite you to go ahead and take your Bible. If you have your Bible with you this morning, open it to Ephesians chapter 3 and follow along. Follow along. I hope that I have all of the texts that I'm going to be preaching this morning on the screen for you. But again, I, I would always advise you to follow along in your Bible. And at this point, if you are physically able to stand, would you stand with me just for a few moments to honor the reading of God's Word? Ephesians 3, beginning in verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of this same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel of this gospel. I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which, has given, which was given me by the working of his power to me. Though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. The title of this morning's message is The Mystery is Revealed. You know, I told you a few minutes ago before we sang the last song that we were going to be talking about a mystery this morning throughout chapter 3 of the book of Ephesians. 
So I just want to remind you as we begin that as Paul is writing this letter, do you remember where he is? Paul's in prison. He is in prison in Rome. And Paul wants people to know at this point, at the way he begins verse 1 of chapter 3, Paul wants to make it clear that although he is indeed a prisoner, he's a prisoner to Christ Jesus. And let's just face it this morning, there's a big, big difference in being a prisoner to Christ Jesus than being a prisoner in a prison cell in Rome. But nevertheless, as Paul is writing this letter to the Ephesian church, he is in a prison cell writing this letter. But instead, Paul considers himself a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. Now, many years after the life of Paul, after the life of the Apostle Paul, there was someone named Corey Ten Boom. Perhaps you're familiar with her. It is noted that she had made a statement throughout her life that wherever it is that God had her at the present time, that was the very spot in the world for her to take the gospel. Wherever God had her placed at that very moment in time, that was exactly where God wanted her to take the gospel. In her case, even the German concentration camps. That's where she was taking the gospel. Sounds a lot like the Apostle Paul, doesn't it? I think Paul would have made that statement. Wherever it is that God has me right at this very moment, that's precisely where he wants me to take the gospel. And you know, if we could just step through from the Apostle Paul, from Corey Ten Boom to right now, can we say we've got the exact same responsibility? Wherever Christ has us put at this very moment in time, guess what? That's exactly where he wants us to take the gospel. For some of you, it may be going on a mission trip. It may be going to Kentucky Changers. It may be going to Oklahoma. It may be going somewhere internationally. Or it might be going to your work, to your job, to tell people who work with you about Jesus. Remember, he's got you placed there. Perhaps it is at the grocery store, at the gas station. But remember, God is sovereign. He sees all things. He knows where we are. We're never somewhere just because. We're never somewhere that's out of the sight of God. So if we're there, we have an opportunity to share the gospel. And I pray that we will see our obedience grow to that same level that Paul demonstrates in the book of Ephesians and throughout his earthly ministry. Now, most of you know, if you've ever heard me preach before, and most of you have, I typically take a text and I divide it in chunks that seem to go together. So the first big chunk that we're going to look at this morning is verses 2 through 13. And we are going to be seeing, again, Paul is talking about a great mystery here. And then we're going to see throughout these particular verses that follows that God reveals the mystery And as a result, believers, and that includes us today, if we are truly a believer, we've got the responsibility 
after we know what that mystery is, we've got the responsibility to proclaim that mystery wherever it are, wherever you are and wherever God may take you. And here is the kicker. I want to be sure we hear this this morning. We're not supposed to be discouraged when we suffer. That's hard for us, isn't it? Because as humans, we typically don't sign up to suffer. But can I tell you something? That's exactly what we've signed up for. If we've asked Jesus to be our Lord and Savior, there's going to be suffering. Just like Paul is writing this letter from a prison cell. Paul's suffering when he's writing this. He's chosen not to be discouraged. He has chosen to spread the gospel anyway. And church, I want to just emphasize to us this morning, we've got that exact same responsibility. Now in verses 2 through 5, Paul begins to elaborate on this great mystery. And he's making it clear here in these verses that there's no human teacher that's told him what this mystery is. Instead, it's the Lord himself who is making the mystery known. And he did it by a revelation. Now, if you'll remember back in chapter 2, Paul briefly alluded to this mystery This mystery was not revealed in the Old Testament, but it was revealed to the apostles and prophets near the timeline where the New Testament actually begins. And I want us to be sure we understand this morning when we are talking about this word mystery. It's used different here than we use it today. For instance, if you were to read a mystery novel, maybe here's what you would be dealing with. Somebody's disappeared. Nobody knows where they are. We're trying to find them. It's a mystery. That's not, that is not how this word mystery is used in the biblical sense this morning. It is used completely different, and it is being used to describe something that has not been previously made known. That's exactly what we're talking about when you hear this word mystery this morning. It's something that has not previously been made known. Now we see in verse 6 what the mystery is. And it's that Gentiles are fellow heirs. They are members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And I can tell you, it is great news. because I, I think I shared this the last sermon from this particular series. When we're thinking about the two basic categories of people at that point, there were Jews and there were Gentiles. Now, of those two classes of people, which one would you fit in? But the answer, the answer is really simple. Unless you are a Jew... Unless you are a fully Jewish person, you're a Gentile. So as we are reading, as we are reading this text today, any time that a Gentile is mentioned, or any time that you are reading through Scripture and you see the Gentiles mentioned, think of it as it, if it were you. Because it is. It is. And the reason that verse 6 is so significant, one of the reasons is because it's for us. 
This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. They're members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now, I know that I have said before, and if you have read about Paul's conversion, I, I don't think we can even, talk, even use words that are any less than radical to describe the, the conversion of Paul. Remember, Paul previously persecuted who? Christians, Gentiles. And then on the Damascus Road, he experienced a radical conversion, and he went from persecuting Christians to proclaiming the gospel. This man named Paul, who previously persecuted Christians, he went from that level of persecuting Christians to becoming the primary apostle to the Gentiles. Folks, can I tell you, that's how powerful that God is. That is how powerful that God is. Only God can do that. Can, that can take a person who had been murdering Christians, persecuting Christians, and use that same man to be the primary apostle to the Gentiles. That is just a brief glimpse of how powerful that our God really is. Now here in verse 7, Paul tells the people that of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. Now Paul tells here what the mystery is. He is revealing it to these people. We're talking about the gospel. It's the gospel, and that gospel it literally translates as good news. And can we just say that's exactly what it is this morning? We don't have to be afraid of sharing the gospel. We should not be afraid of sharing the gospel because we've got good news to share. Folks, there are people that are lost, that are on their way straight to hell. We've got the answer for them. I feel like if any of us in this room right now had the cure for cancer, we'd want to share it, wouldn't we? Because guess what? Cancer has affected, I will guarantee you, every family here in some form. If any of us had the cure for cancer, we would be sharing that. We don't want people to die from cancer. We don't. But we shouldn't want them to die and go to hell either. We've got good news to share with them. We have got to share it. It's part of our responsibility of being a Christian. Now, when I think of the Apostle Paul, one of the things that almost immediately always comes into my mind to start with is that I believe that man was probably one of the boldest Christians to have ever walked the face of this earth. I really do. He had a level of boldness that is just, it is impressive how bold he was to the cause of Christianity. Remember, I know I keep saying this over and over, but I want to be sure you understand how significant it is. He is writing this letter that we know as the book of Ephesians. He's writing it from a prison cell while he's in chains. That is pretty bold. Paul didn't be quiet when people told him to be quiet. He kept talking about God anyway. But I think here, 
that we see in verse 8, a glimpse of his humility. Let's look at verse 8. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And then that verse continues, and to bring to light for everyone Jews and Gentiles alike, what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Now, I think it's very important for us to just stop and realize when God chose Paul, I don't believe he asked Paul for his resume. I don't think he said, Paul, would you give me a piece of paper that shows what all your qualifications are, and then I will review that, and if I find that you are qualified for this job, I'm going to do this through you. I'm going to make you the chief apostle to the Gentiles. I don't think that's how it happened at all. In fact, I know it is not how it happened because that's not how God has ever called anybody. And it's not how he's called any of us either. You know, if we waited until we were completely qualified before we did anything for Jesus, we'd never do anything. We would never do anything. But can I share some great news with you this morning in addition to the gospel that Jesus saves? Here's the good news. If, when he calls you to do something, when he asks you to do something, he will equip you for the task. He will equip you for the task. And that causes us to rely on him even more, which is exactly what we should do. We should never attempt to do anything in our own strength because, as the old song says, without him, I could do nothing. And that's exactly true. Without him, we can do nothing. We need him. I wonder this morning, do you know him today? And again, I just want to point out in verse 9 before we change the screen is that, yes, Paul's mission was to take the gospel to the Gentiles, but not just to the Gentiles. For everyone, to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Now, as we look at this um, next section of verses, verses 10 through 13, now God has seen that the time is right. This mystery was the manifold wisdom of God. Now that the mystery has been revealed, this wisdom could be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Now these heavenly powers that we have just read about, they are angelic representatives of earthly um, rulers. And they were thought by some people in the audience, in the church that Paul is writing to, the Ephesian church, there were people that Paul knew that was going to be reading this particular letter who thought that these rulers and authorities controlled access to the throne of God. And that's just not true. They they did not control access to the throne of God. 
Here Paul is showing that the church is the means by which these evil forces could recognize God's plan and his operation of that plan. And the result was to create a church that included both Jews and Gentiles with the same way of salvation by grace. And, you know, that is what we experience today. Salvation is by faith in Christ alone through grace. I wonder again, do you know him today? Now, the execution of this plan as well as the revealing of the plan, it was all a part of God's eternal purpose. It was no longer a plan that would just be revealed or realized at a later date. The time is now. The time was now for this plan to actually be revealed. Now, in the cross of Christ, God's eternal plan of salvation, it has been realized. The church lets all of the world see that that plan has been accomplished. You know, so often maybe we hear the argument, do I actually have to come to church? Yeah, it's important unless you've got some reason why you can't come to church. You should be in church. Absolutely, you should be in church. I think a bigger question, if you're asking that question, do I have to come to church, is why would you not want to? Why would you not want to come to church and fellowship with other believers? But it is so important that the outside world that is looking sees the church worshiping together. They're not going to see that if we don't come to church. It lets all of the world see that this plan of God, it has been accomplished and it is in action yet today. Can I tell you this morning that Jesus is alive and well? That is great news. And we've got to tell the world that. We have got to show the world that. God's plan of salvation, it was purposed before the world and it was executed in the cross. And that clears the path to God. Through Christ, a person can enter God's presence. And we can do that with boldness and also confidence. We can enter God's presence with boldness and confidence. Now look at verse 13. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you which is your glory. Sometimes this is a hard verse to really comprehend. Life is hard. Can we just realize life is hard? It's probably just going to get worse if we are being fully transparent. When we look at what is happening all around us, all throughout the world today, Folks, until Jesus comes back, I, I just really doubt it's going to get any better at all. It's probably going to get worse. And I remember years ago I preached a sermon, and the main thought about it was when persecution comes to us as Christians, will we be ready? Will we be ready? I'm convinced persecution is coming. If we live long enough and Christ doesn't come back First, but Paul is telling us here in verse 13 
I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. There could very well be a time in our walk with Christ that we suffer for someone else. What if? What if suddenly it becomes illegal to display a Bible in in public? What if it should become illegal to own a Bible? What if it should become illegal to mention the name of Jesus Christ in any public setting? Will we do it? When that time comes, I pray that the answer is yes. We will still continue sharing about the name of Jesus. But we've got to realize when we do that, suffering is probably going to come. But we're not supposed to lose heart about that because we know if we are Christians, we know where our eternity is going to be spent. And can I tell you, that is so much greater than anything, anything, any amount of suffering that might happen to us while we're here on this earth. And that is great news. Now, our next chunk of verses is going to be verses 14 through 19. And we're going to see through this section of verses that believers that are spiritually mature, they get strength from the Holy Spirit. And as a result, they comprehend God's love and they are filled with the fullness of God. So in verse 14, we see that Paul resumes his original prayer that he started all the way back in verse 1. Now, verses 2 through 13, they don't, they don't appear to be a prayer to me. But verse 1 starts the prayer, and he picks back up in verse 14 with this prayer again. And as I was studying for today, one of the things that I think Paul does by just how this particular portion of Scripture is laid out. Do you remember in another portion of Scripture, Paul says that we are to pray without what? ceasing. I think he has given us an example of here what that can look like, not what it always looks like, but he started out praying in verse 1. And then verses 2 through 13 sort of happened. It was all important information that he needed to share with the reader, but I don't believe that verses 2 through 13 are a prayer. I don't. I think it's information that the reader needs to know. And now, right here in verse 14, as we approach that, he picks right back up with the prayer again. Now, I think he's given us an example here of what it can look like to pray without ceasing. Pray at every opportunity. But as we look at verse 14, I think it's significant that Paul tells these people that for this reason I bow my knees before the Father. It was a form of humility that Paul was exercising. It was a form of reverence that Paul was exercising when he bowed on his knees to pray. It's still a form of reverence. It's still a form of uh, of reverence and humility when we bow on our knees and pray today. Now, I know that you're probably wondering, are you is he saying that I've got to bow on my knees and pray? No, I'm not saying that. You can pray in any position. If you were literally standing on your head, you could pray if you chose to. But I think it is important for us to realize that when we pray, 
we should be exhibiting reverence to the one to whom we are praying. For you, it might look like sitting down. It might look like stretching out on your face. It might look like bowing your knees just exactly like Paul is doing here. But when we pray, when we talk to the Father, we should be exhibiting reverence to the Father to whom we are praying. Verse 15 says, From whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. We serve a powerful, powerful Father, one who is definitely able to hear and answer prayers. Now, beginning in verse 16, we're going to see that Paul's prayer, it contains four requests. And the first one is for spiritual strength. He is praying for spiritual strength. And this is not, the strength that he is asking for here is not Lord, please give me strength for when the journey gets really hard. That, that is not what he is praying right here. Instead, he is asking for a work of God from God's spirit to our spirit. And then in verse 17, we see the second request. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints What is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God? So as Paul begins to talk about faith, he is talking about a deep faith here. Now remember, Paul is writing this letter to the Christians at the Ephesian Church, he knows he is writing this letter to Christians. And as Christians, we know that the moment that we repent, that we confess our sins, we repent of our sins, and we ask Jesus to be our Lord and Savior, we know that that happens. So that is not what Paul is praying here. Paul's prayer is one that says that he wants Christ to be at home in the believer's heart. And I wonder, is he at home? In your heart this morning? Is Christ at home in your heart? Do those people who are around you the most, do they know that Christ is in your heart? And then in verse 18, Paul's praying that these people may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what's the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with with the fullness of God. Now that's a lot, isn't it? That's a lot. That you may be filled with the fullness of God and that we're going to have strength to comprehend with the saints what's the breadth and length and height and depth and then to know that love, that surpasses knowledge and then to be filled with the fullness of God. And you know, for us to know that type of love, That's a type of love that it just simply can't be earned. There is nothing that we can do that will cause us to be able to earn that love. Now, there is definitely something that we can do to receive that love. And that something is to follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That is how you can experience that love. But apart from that, there is absolutely nothing 
that we can do to earn the love of Christ. But let me tell you how we measure it is through the cross. That is how we measure that amount of love. Now, the final request that Paul includes in this prayer is a prayer for the fullness of God. Now, the inner strength of the Holy Spirit leads to the indwelling of Christ, which leads to abundant love, which leads to the fullness of God in us. And let's not miss that this is also Paul's prayer for us, not just simply to these people that he is writing to in the Ephesian church. And then as we move as the, to the last two verses in this particular chapter, Paul closes with a doxology, is what I'm going to call it. Verses 20 and 21. Did Paul's prayer contain requests of God? Yeah, it did. Is it wrong for our prayers to contain requests of God? Absolutely not, it's not wrong. It's not wrong for us to ask God for things. But our prayers should also include praise all the time. Our prayers should not sound like a grocery list. They shouldn't. Our prayers should also contain praise to the one who is worthy. Listen at these two verses. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now, we see three things in this doxology. I'm going to quickly wrap up here, but I want to be sure we see these three things. The first is the sovereignty of God. And when we think of God's sovereignty, we realize that God can do anything that he wills. Now, if you were with us on Wednesday night here in the sanctuary, Brother Blake was preaching on Wednesday night, and on the Wednesday nights that he preaches, he's walking through the book of James. And one of the things that we talked about on Wednesday night was if the Lord wills. So we've we've got to realize that God can do anything that he wills. Just like Adam was reading earlier about the man, he said, I believe, but help my unbelief. That man knew that God could. He knew that he could. But it seemed like it was such a big situation. But God is able. He is able and he can do anything and everything that he wills. And I think what is so beautiful about this is that the Scripture tells us it is far more abundantly. Again, as we, as we read this, I want us to truly try to grasp how much that God can do. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all, we ask or think according to the power at work within us. That's how powerful that God is. That is how powerful that God is. Now, I want to be certain, though, that we don't make the mistake of saying that 
Whatever we pray, He's going to do. Because the Scripture says that He is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. Just because we pray for something, that is no indication that He's going to answer, yes, that particular prayer. Does God always answer prayer? Yes, He does, but sometimes He answers it with the word no. Sometimes, I think, down the road, we come to understand why the answer was no, and I think other times we might not ever understand. But again, God is sovereign. We're not preaching a prosperity gospel, and if you hear somebody that does preach a prosperity gospel, you should run the other way as fast as you can and not listen to that mess. And it is a mess. It is a mess. Anybody that will preach that you'll never have problems, that the Christian life is easy, number one, they either don't know what they're talking about or they're not a Christian. One of the two, the Christian life is not easy. There will be problems. There will be suffering. But even in the midst of that, the one that is able, he is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. And then it's according to the power at work within us. The second thing that we see in this doxology is God's omnipotence. God manifests his power in many ways. Now, you know, if you are here with us regularly on Sunday mornings, Brother Blake has been walking through the book of Genesis. And one of the ways that we see the manifestation of God's omnipotence is when God created the world. And we read about that in the book of Genesis. But we're also seeing it here in the New Testament because he is bringing Jews and Gentiles together to form them into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. And then the third thing that we see is His glory. We see His glory. The power that is displayed by God has a purpose, and it is to bring Him glory. And that's what our purpose should be today, to bring God glory. Wherever you are, wherever He places you, we have an opportunity in the midst of any situation to bring God glory. And that's how I want to close today. I want it to be a challenge for us to look at every situation that we're in and ask the question, am I bringing God glory in this situation? If not, why not? If not, what do I need to change in order to bring glory to God in this particular situation? Will it be easy? Probably not. Probably not. Will it be worth it? Absolutely. Absolutely, it will. So this morning, perhaps you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I want to quickly tell you how you can pray to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Many of you have heard me say this many times before. In fact, I never intend to preach that I don't share this. I think it's that important. But I... And one of the reasons that I think that God has just called me to end every sermon with this is that I think for many years the world has made it confusing of how, how do you become a Christian? You, it can't possibly be as easy as those people are saying it is. Yes, it can. It is truly as easy as we teach children in vacation Bible school. 
the ABCs of Christianity, the letter A indicates that we've got to admit that we're a sinner, that there are things in our life that do not honor God or Jesus Christ. And we've got to be willing to repent of those things. We've got to be willing to say, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. And can I tell you this morning, that Savior's name is Jesus Christ, and He is waiting this morning for you to ask Him to be your Lord and Savior and to repent of your sins. The B and the ABCs of salvation, it stands for believe. We've got to believe that Jesus is God's Son, that He was born of a virgin. You know, here in just a few weeks, we're going to be talking a lot about Christmas. And we'll be talking about baby Jesus and how he was born of a virgin. We've got to believe that that is true. So many times I think we leave Jesus in the manger as a baby. We can't do that. We've got to believe that he had an earthly ministry, that he walked this earth, that his life contained absolutely no sin. And as a part of God's plan, due to his massive love for us, Jesus died on the cross for us. He died. He was buried. And on the third day, he rose from the grave. That's why we celebrate Easter. And then the C, is, it stands for confess. And that involves a repenting and turning from our life of sin. So many times we hear the phrase, Jesus will meet you where you are, and that's exactly true. Every word of that is true. Jesus will meet you where you are, but he won't leave you there. His desire is not for you to, to, to remain in a life of sin. He wants you to turn and follow him. So that is what the C stands for. So if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I would beg you to come today, kneel at the foot of the cross, and ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. Maybe you just need to come and pray. Come and pray. If you have something you need to talk to Jesus about, come now. There is room at the cross for you. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you so much for sending Jesus to us to be our Savior. Father, I thank you for the reading of your word. Lord, I thank you for the fact of knowing that you are able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think according to the power that is at work within us. And Father, we, we know that that same power that raised Jesus from the dead, it is alive in the heart of every true Christian. Father, I pray today that you will just simply move throughout this invitation. And I pray that you and you alone would be glorified. And it's in your name I pray. Amen.